Hey guys, welcome back to another episode from The Dark Side. I'm your host, Sherry. This is a case that is very popular for true crime fans. You know a true crime fan just like yourself? Just ask them if they've heard of Brandon Swanson. People are fascinated by it, even talking about it 15 years later. It's bizarre. It kind of reminds me of the Brandon Lawson case, if you remember me talking about that one a couple years ago. Both men disappeared while out on a dark road late at night. They both had family members en route to pick them up. Both men exited their vehicles. Both men were on the phone when they disappeared. Brandon Lawson disappeared in 2013, and his remains weren't found until 2022. Brandon Swanson disappeared in 2008 and has never been found. A 19-year-old on his way home alone from a party, something so many of us have done, He disappeared, and the circumstances are bizarre. We're going to dive into it in just a moment. As always, my sources are listed below in the description area. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty, and this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Here we go. This is Episode 64, The Disappearance of Brandon Swanson. The year is 2008. There was a huge financial crisis and banks were suddenly not loaning money and it got hard for a lot of people. General Motors and Ford both reported record losses. No one could afford to buy a new car. Barack Obama was the first black president elected and that was truly a historic moment. The most popular films were The Dark Knight, Twilight, and Iron Man. The Phillies won the World Series. Gas was $3.39 a gallon, which isn't much different today. And lastly, the biggest food trend was bacon. People were putting bacon on everything for some reason. Probably had to do with the Atkins diet, which involved eating a lot of meat and shit and was widely popular at the time. Brandon Swanson was born January 30th, 1989. At the time of the story in 2008, he is 19 years old. He is from Marshall, Minnesota. He had graduated high school just one year ago in 2007. He's now a college student at the local college, and he is there to study wind turbines. A wind turbine is a device that converts the kinetic energy of wind into electrical energy. Brandon is trying to save us all money here. Truly an interesting study for sure. Brandon has a younger sister who is only 17 months younger than him, and his parents are Brian and Annette. Family and friends say he was a good person who didn't have many issues. He was just a normal guy. Brandon is known to love reading and playing on the computer. He was fascinated by science. I find it remarkable that Brandon was 19 and worked at the local grocery shop, specifically the bakery area. Well, he had been there for four years, starting when he was just 15, working after school. That's pretty impressive that he has been at his job for four years and he's only 19. He's just part-time because of school. Now, Brandon is known to be responsible and overall a good kid. Of course, he had the normal issues that teenage boys have. They're not perfect. I know because I had one. 
He had his normal quarrels with parents and things like that, but again, totally normal. Brandon had plans to transfer to a different college in August. He was going to move to Iowa, 250 miles away, and attend Iowa Western College, but for now, he's local in Minnesota. He lives with his parents and commutes to school every day. Now, Brandon is legally blind in his left eye. He wears glasses, and on the night he goes missing, he is wearing a white t-shirt under a blue polo sweatshirt under a black zip-up hoodie, baggy jeans, a silver necklace, white sneakers, and a flat-brimmed Minnesota Twins hat. He has a small stud earring in both ears. Brandon is five foot six and 125 pounds. Brandon loves debating. A friend of his said there was no point in arguing with Brandon because he always won. He often watched CNN, the History Channel, and the Discovery Channel. A huge science lover. Brandon could often be found on a Saturday afternoon reading on the couch for hours. So it's May 14th, 2008. Brandon and his classmates are done school for the summer, finally. Brandon has plans that evening to attend a party. This party is in Lind. It's a town. It's spelled L-Y-N-D. And it's pretty close to his house in Marshall. It's like the next town over. Brandon arrives that evening and his friend said he did consume alcohol, but it wasn't a big amount, just like a beer. This party is really just a gathering of five to six friends. He was completely sober when he left. He leaves and he goes to another party. This area is pretty hopping since it's the last day of college for the summer. There's like parties everywhere. This party is a little further away. It's in Canby. Now, Canby is about 45 minutes away from his parents' house and the town of Lind where he attended party number one. He gets there and there's more people at this one. This is a full-on college party. Brandon consumes an unknown amount of alcohol. There's also some question about what time he leaves. Most reports state that he consumed only one shot of whiskey. Again, he was totally sober when he left, according to his friends. So no one can clearly say what time he left or how many drinks he consumed. But think about yourself partying in your late teens and early 20s. Can you honestly look around at your buddy and know if they had one or three drinks? Do you look at the clock exactly when they leave to see what time it is? I know I didn't. Either way, we're going to go with the most accounts that he had one beer at the first get-together and a shot of whiskey at the party he went to afterwards. So we'll say a beer and a shot. He appeared normal and left sometime after midnight. Now, when I give you guys locations, these are super important to the story. I'm horrible with directions, so this should be great. Party number two is in Canby. It's about 30 minutes from his parents' house in Marshall. To get from Canby back to Marshall, where his parents' house is, it's pretty much a straight shot down Highway 68. Now, Brandon drives this highway every single day for school. He knows his way around this highway. It's a very easy drive. Brandon, for reasons unknown, but I feel he doesn't want to get pulled over for drinking, decides he's going to take a different route. Now, next to this highway, there are all these back roads that will lead you parallel with Highway 68, but it involves multiple turns. So instead of going straight down Highway 68, he's going to take these windy little country back roads 
which are going to pretty much lead him to the exact same location at the end, but he's just avoiding the highway. So it's going to take a little longer than 30 minutes. When I say back roads, I mean super country roads, many of which are just gravel roads. There's abandoned farms and extremely rural scenes. I looked at a map and it's basically just cornfields and narrow gravel roads. So he'll be able to get back to his parents without worrying about getting pulled over on a major highway like Highway 68. Brandon, we will soon learn, does not know his way around these back roads, though. Brandon ends up getting his car stuck in a ditch. Now, I don't mean he was flying and went off the road. He was on a maintenance road in between two fields. This is seriously a road he should have never been on, especially not in the middle of the night. It's for farm equipment and trucks. It's believed that he tried to turn around on this road, you know, like a three-point turn, but each side of this road had a small ditch. It wasn't steep at all, but his back tires aren't touching the ground and pressing the gas isn't going to do anything. The frame is stuck and he's just stuck there. Brandon's probably like, well, shit. Phone records show that he tried to call a few friends, but nobody answers their phones. So at 1.54 a.m., he does something he doesn't want to do, and none of us would. He calls his parents. He says he's in the middle of nowhere, and his car is hung up on a ditch. He's completely fine and uninjured, but he just needs them to come get him. Brandon, very sure of himself, gives his parents his location. He says he's between the town of Lind and Marshall, so he's really not that far from home, maybe about 10 minutes. He says he's on the left side of the road, just off of Highway 23. His parents tell him to stay in the car, and they'll be right there. His mom and dad hop in their truck and set off to find Brandon. There were several calls between Brandon and his parents between 1.54 a.m. and 2.17 a.m. Most were just him trying to describe where he was. They have to be close. His parents are unable to find him. Brandon tells them to start flashing their high beams and maybe he'll be able to see them. This land is very flat and if it's pitch black out, he would be able to see their lights. Brandon flashes his headlights as well. His mom says she even heard the sound of him doing it, but neither Brandon or his parents can see one another. Now, Brandon is starting to get pissed. His parents are getting frustrated as well. I'm sure he's thinking, my God, my parents are freaking idiots, but they were trying their best to find him. At one point, Brandon even hung up on his mom. She called him back and apologized, and they are still driving around looking for him. He tells them that he sees the lights from the town of Lind up ahead, and so he's just going to start walking towards them, and they can meet him there at a bar parking lot. Brandon's dad, Brian, drops his mother off back at home, and he stays on the phone with his son while he is out walking. Brian is still in the truck looking for him. Now, Brandon is on foot, so he doesn't have to stick to the roads. He is able to go through fields and cut corners to make it quicker. He stays on the phone with his dad while describing everything he sees. He says he's climbed a fence, and then he hears water in the distance. He says he encountered yet another fence he has to climb. He was on the phone with his dad for 47 minutes, narrating his walk. When suddenly, at 3.10 a.m., he yells out, Oh, shit, and the line goes dead. His dad tried calling him right back, but it rings and rings. 
He called several more times and it just rings. They thought maybe Brandon fell and it's so dark that he can't find his phone. If they call it, he'll see it light up and grab it. There's been a lot of opinion about this. Most times when you call someone, if the phone is dead or turned off or the battery's missing or whatever, it will go straight to voicemail. Most times when you call and it rings and rings, it shows that the phone has power and is active, but it really depends on the carrier. We don't know if Brandon's phone was suddenly broken, dropped, turned off, or if it was still on and active. Brandon's parents called some of his friends who surprisingly answered the phone this time. They asked them to get in their cars, come down to the Lynn Marshall area, and look for Brandon or his car. We don't know how far Brandon walked from his car at this early stage. We do know that even though it's May, the temperature dropped to 39 degrees that night. That's four degrees Celsius for my international listeners. It's not raining, but it's very cold out there. Brandon has a sweatshirt and another zip-up hoodie, so while it's not a winter coat, he's not too bad. It can get bad, though, if he's outside for too long. His dad has been circling the area that Brandon said he was in. Brandon was 100% sure of his location, and his dad goes right to that location, but there's no Brandon. Brian says Brandon did not seem incoherent on the phone. Remember, he talked to him for 47 minutes. It would be damn near impossible to fake being sober while on the phone with your dad. At this point, he doesn't even care if he's in trouble. He just wants to go home. Brian heads to the bar that Brandon said he would walk to in case there's a small chance that he made it there, but there's no sign of him. His parents and friends are driving around this area looking for any sign of Brandon or his car. By 6.30 a.m., there's still no signs of him. The last communication we have was when he yelled out, oh shit, on the phone with his dad and the call dropped. So they go right to the police to report him missing. This is 6.30 a.m. This is the Lynn Police Department. This next part is so upsetting and I hate it. They tell the police everything that happened. Brandon got his car hung up. He called for help. They can't find him. He yells out an expletive before the call ends. It's all so scary. The police tell them that it's not unusual for a teenage college student not to come home. Maybe he just had too much to drink and walked to a friend's house. One officer even said, he's an adult and he has the right to go missing. Like, I agree with what the officer said, but for this case, it doesn't fit. If he wanted to go suddenly missing, why call his parents for help? Why wander around yelling for them to find you? I don't think it's clicking yet with these police how serious the situation is. They could have just said okay and sent an officer out in a car to patrol the area. If they would have found him, they could have taken credit and made themselves look good. But no. Brandon's parents continue to search for him. It's daylight now, so it'll be much easier to see any clues or see Brandon walking down a road or finding his car. So, although the police department was reluctant to search at first, by that afternoon, they realized this was a for real missing persons case and set out to search. One thing that they did great was they were able to obtain Brandon's cell phone records almost right away. Back then, you could just get the general area of the tower where the cell phone last pinged. It's a good thing they did this because Brandon's car is found and it's nowhere near where he said it was. 
This shows us Brandon really had no idea where he was. He thought he did. He was sure he was near the town of Lind, when in reality, he wasn't. Brandon's car was exactly the way Brandon had described it. It was hung up on a ditch on one side of the road. It wasn't badly damaged, like not even a scratch. It was just the frame was hung up so the wheels wouldn't move. This car is located about 25 miles from where he told his parents he was. It was in a rural area near the Lyon and Lincoln County line. This will cause some issues with jurisdiction and who will handle this missing persons case. At this point, the Lyon County Sheriff's Department is involved as well. More jurisdictions will eventually be brought in. It's not even been 24 hours, so the likelihood of finding Brandon is pretty high. So, again, he was about 25 miles from the location that he thought he was. This explains why his parents couldn't find him. The highway he said he saw in the distance was Highway 23, but it was actually Highway 68, which was the highway I told you Brandon drove back and forth every day to school. Although it would be hard to tell one highway from another from a distance in the dark when you're legally blind in one eye and completely lost in cold. The lights he thought he saw in the town of Lind were likely the lights of the town of Porter. He thought he was between Lind and Marshall, but was actually actually closer to Canby, which is where party number two is. I think he was driving on these back roads and thought he was much further than he really was because he kept making turns and turns. The minutes probably seemed like hours when you're lost. There was nothing in the vehicle suspicious, no blood or drugs or anything that was unordinary, just a regular teenage boy's car, CDs and plastic soda bottles and stuff like that. I did read that both doors on the car were open. If the doors were open, I think it would be because Brandon wanted his parents to see the car better, maybe make it stand out more. There wasn't anything of Brandon's found around the car or in the area. Just to give you guys a visual here, Brandon's car is in the middle of cornfields on a maintenance road. All the surrounding roads are gravel. It's cold. It's 2 a.m. There's nobody for miles. Just some abandoned farms, no houses, no stores, just emptiness. The investigators brought in a search and rescue team and search dogs two days after Brandon went missing. A search dog is different from a cadaver dog. A search dog will follow the trail and find a person or a suspect. A cadaver dog is mainly trained to find dead bodies. At this point, it's believed only a search dog is needed. They tried to use the scent inside the vehicle for the dogs to pick up on, but it doesn't work. So some of Brandon's clothing items from home were brought out. They didn't do too much for these dogs, except for one. This dog takes off following Brandon's scent. It leads police away from the vehicle, heading south for half a mile. This is great because this gives us exactly where Brandon walked. Then it makes a left on another road. The dog continued tracking Brandon's scent for a mile before turning onto another road where it goes another mile. This dog is determined to find Brandon. It turns west and goes into a driveway of an abandoned farm. The dog continued for a quarter mile before turning again, heading towards the Yellow Medicine River. Remember, Brandon said he heard running water? Then the tracking dog actually jumps into 
the Yellow Medicine River. This has everyone stunned because now they realize maybe Brandon had fallen into the river. But the dog got out of the water and continued to track the scent. The scent was followed to a drainage point of the river and then out to a gravel road. At that point, the dog lost the scent and his tracking was over. Now, the weird thing and why the dog likely lost the scent at the gravel road was that the gravel road where the dog stopped had been regraded that morning. I mean, this was likely planned well in advance and the company that did it had no idea a teen was going to go missing and this would be his last known location and they're disturbing crucial evidence, but it's still frustrating. Now, if you remember, Brandon had said to his dad he heard water. He talked about gravel roads and every place the dog went was exactly the way Brandon described it to his dad, including two fences. I gotta applaud this wonderful dog. He or she really did their best to find Brandon. I also applaud their handler who trained them so well. I read about scent dogs while researching this case. Scientists say that dogs have 50 times the scent receptors that humans have. Yes, even little Fido in your living room. Dogs can smell between 10,000 to 100,000 times better than humans. Just to touch on Yellow Medicine River, now, this river is 15 foot deep at its highest points, but the area Brandon was likely near was shallow. It would be somewhat difficult for him to drown in. Locals describe this river as more of a creek. Gates were placed in the river at various points, so if Brandon did fall in and die, one of the gates would catch his body. It would be impossible for them not to. Ground searches took place as well as helicopter searches, but nothing came up. One officer named Sheriff Vizicki walked the bank of the Yellow Medicine River every single day for 30 days looking for signs of Brandon, but nothing came up. Brandon's parents kept their porch light on all night every night in hopes of Brandon returning back to them. The days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months. No sign of Brandon has ever came. Along with Brandon, we are missing his car keys and his cell phone. Neither of them, those items ever surfaced either. The official searches got less frequent as time went on. In 2010, a tip line was set up by the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, which took over the, invest the investigation as the lead agency. But by 2015, only 90 leads were reported, which is hardly any in a five-year span. Most leads were someone was spotted who looked like Brandon, but they weren't really him. A man named Jeff Hasse is now in charge of search efforts for Brandon. He is part of the Midwest Technical Rescue Training. He has some really good info detailed online regarding their searches. At the five-year mark, it was said that more than 500 volunteers, including 34 dog handlers from nine different states, spent more than 120 days searching for Brandon and covered most of 120 square miles. Even today, in 2023, no sign of Brandon has ever been found. It's hard because Brandon had been walking for almost an hour. If you take the car location and walk an hour in any direction, it's a lot of area to cover. We'll go over some theories, but one thing to remember as I describe each one were Brandon's last communication with his dad on the phone at 3.10 a.m. on May 14th, 2008. Oh, shit. 
Think about that for a moment. What would make him say, oh shit, I thought about it myself. I would say that for something minor, like I got my foot caught on something. I would also say it if I had a train hurtling towards me. Something made Brandon yell out, oh shit. The first theory is what a lot of people think. Brandon fell into a river and drowned. The argument here is the police dogs followed the scent trail to the other side of the river, implying that Brandon crossed it safely. If Brandon would have drowned, the gates that were placed would have eventually caught his body, or his body would have been found on its own. Bodies rise to the top of the water most times in under 10 days. It's been ruled out that Brandon is in the river. But if Brandon fell into the river, managed to get out, and walked to the gravel road where the dog stopped tracking, is it possible he is suffering from hypothermia due to being soaking wet and 40 degrees? That's 3 degrees Celsius. But Brandon's body would have been found. Even the search manager, Jeff Hasse, said of the case, quote, We believe that he got disoriented, and at one point we know for a fact he ended up traveling on a field road between two fields. I believe he fell, got wet, his cell phone went dead, I think he continued walking. It was cold, it got down to 39 degrees, end quote. This next theory gives me super chills. I thought to myself, what would make him suddenly say what he said on the phone to his dad? I know it's super dark out. I thought maybe he looked up and saw someone. Maybe he saw someone standing there with a shotgun and thought Brandon was intruding on his property. Someone was lurking in the shadows. That doesn't explain how the line went dead instantly. His dad would have likely heard another voice in the phone or Brandon saying, I'm just a kid, don't shoot me. Or his dad would have heard a struggle taking place or the firing of a weapon. Sheriff Vizicki said regarding foul play, quote, the only thing would have been if someone was in the shadows and they got him that way. I can't say there wasn't someone else, but I can't find any evidence of it, end quote. Imagine being cold and scared and surrounded by fields and looking up and seeing someone standing there. I'd be screaming, oh shit, as well. Maybe he saw a large animal like a bear or a bobcat. I don't know if Minnesota has large animals walking around on farms at night, but if he were attacked, there would be blood splatter and bones left out once the animals were done. Animals aren't going to clean up a crime scene when they're finished killing and eating you. They also aren't going to eat your cell phone and your car keys, which were never found. Think of an animal carcass laying on the road. There's vultures attacking the rest of the remains. It's ugly and there's lots of evidence everywhere. There's the theory that Brandon took off on his own and is living somewhere in hiding. Remember, the police first said it's not illegal for an adult to leave and not contact their family and friends. This seems unlikely. Brandon wasn't prepared to leave. Plus, he asked for help. He wanted to be found. He was also excited. It was the last day of school and was ready for summer. One thing common in the area that Brandon disappeared are unmarked wells. It's totally a possibility that Brandon fell into a well and hasn't been found. There may be some that are overgrown with vegetation and are hidden, but I'm sure police have checked all the ones that they know about. I'm glad no one thinks this is a suicide. Brandon is not really a good candidate for this. 
There are so many theories, though, online. I have read everything from Brandon was running from drug dealers who finally caught up to him to he was captured by a farmer and put through a cattle feed machine. People find it strange, including myself, that Brandon is featured on the FBI's VICAP list. I had to check myself to make sure he was really on there, and there he was. VICAP is Violent Criminal Apprehension Program. There's a lot of missing people on it, though. What qualifies Brandon to be on this list is that I believe is because he was close to a highway when he disappeared. I'm sure people are going to chime in on this if I'm incorrect, but to be on the FBI's VICAP list, there's something exceptionally unique about your case, something maybe we don't know. Not every missing person is featured on the VICAP list. You have to qualify to get on it. I feel like the FBI being involved, or if they did their own search and investigation, Brandon would be found. I'm not knocking the current search team. They are doing great, and they've spent hundreds of hours searching. But the FBI has access to more technology, and they will find you if they, if they want to. The first thing I thought when I heard about this case years ago is that Brandon was struck by a car. The driver panicked and hid the body in the trunk, and now he could be anywhere. But if a car would have been heading towards Brandon, Brandon would have said to his dad, hey, I see headlights, is that you? He would have heard the car a mile away. He was on gravel roads in the middle of nowhere. Close your eyes and picture a car on a gravel road and it's super loud. Brandon would have been waving his arms and jumping as the car got closer thinking it was his dad. Instead, he was just chatting about what he saw as he walked. He said nothing about a car. It's sad to think of how cold and scared Brandon must have been. At this point, if he did see a car and it wasn't his dad, he probably would have flagged the person down anyway. If a car did hit Brandon, Brian would have heard tire squealing or a crash or something on the phone. He was a lost kid, slightly drunk, trying to find his way home on a cold night. I honestly am stumped on trying to figure out what happened to him but he is loved and missed by a lot of people. I saw a picture of him in his grocery store apron and he's smiling and looking at the camera. He reminded me of my own son who we lost at the same age, age 19. My son worked in the meat department of Walmart and every time I saw him, he was wearing his apron and would smile and wave at me. The difference is that I know what happened to my son. If I had no idea if he were alive or dead or cold or hungry, I would be going crazy. I would be scanning every crowd looking for him. I'd stop and watch every person I saw walking down the highway. What I'm dealing with is heartbreaking. No parent deserves this, but I cannot imagine not knowing. I truly hope Brandon is alive and will someday be found, although it seems unlikely. I told you guys in the beginning that this case reminded me of Brandon Lawson's case. That was the third or fourth case I ever covered. Brandon Lawson's remains were found in 2022, just one mile from where he disappeared nine years earlier. His remains were found near where he left his truck. Even though that area had been combed by investigators, they were missed. I only hope that one day... Brandon Swanson will be found as well. I've read a lot about his parents. These people just want their son found. That's all they want. They want to be able to grieve and let him rest in peace if he is deceased. If he's alive, they just want to know that he's okay. 
His parents successfully lobbied for the law to change after Brandon disappeared. They petitioned for Brandon's Law, and it became active in their state of Minnesota in July 2009. Brandon's Law requires that authorities conduct a preliminary investigation when a missing person's report comes in without any delays, even if someone is above the age of 18. Basically, if you walk into the police department and say someone is missing and the circumstances are dangerous, the police have to start working right away, even if they're over 18. None of this 24-hour bullshit. Brandon's parents, Brian and Annette, and his sister were in attendance during the governor's signing ceremony. I truly believe that Brandon is deceased, but without a body, it's so hard to tell if that's what happened. After 15 years, it will be difficult to tell how he died, if he died, unless he was shot or stabbed. His body is just bones at this point. Brandon's mother told her daughter, I don't think we'll ever find your brother in my lifetime. Her daughter responded, Mom, I don't think we'll ever find Brandon in my lifetime, which is heartbreaking. Brandon's mom, Annette, said of her son, quote, The not knowing where a loved one is, not knowing what happened, is awful. Ultimately, you'd like an answer. You know they're not where they should be, but you have no idea where they are. You don't know if they're living 50 miles away from you or if they're dead. You don't know if something horrific happened to them or not. You don't know if they've had an accident, lost their memories, and are living a life someplace else, not knowing somebody is looking for them. You just don't know. If Brandon is, in fact, alive today in 2023, he would be 34 years old. That's it for this week, and I'll see you all again soon. Take care, and much love to you all.